welcome to the podcast. Coming to you from the Midwest Coast. I'm inside that miraculous establishment, the Midwest Healing Center, Lake of the Ozarks, podcast, Studio B. This is the New Old School Podcast. I am your host, Don Allen. Tell somebody about the podcast. It's all free. You know, you can download any of these free apps to any mobile device, Podbean, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, iTunes Store, Spotify. They're all free. Why, it's freer than a UFO conspiracy. That's right, kids. We've got UFOs. I mean, ignore the major train wreck in Ohio that's killing people and animals and destroying the environment with deadly toxic chemicals that our government set on fire. I mean, that's what I would do if I saw over a million gallons of of deadly chemicals spill out onto the ground. Let's see. How do we clean this up? I know. Light it on fire. Yeah, ignore uh, Hunter's laptop and Chinese balloons. We have UFOs that we're shooting down every day. That's right. Little green men from outer space. Nothing to see here, kids. 2022 recession. How could it get any worse? 2023 said, hold my beer. Release the aliens. Get the apps. They're not out of this world. They're available for you right here. You can do them on your phone. Hey, we won't shoot you down for it either. How is everybody doing today? This is the fourth teaching in our series titled Not Guilty. No, I don't condone you drinking beer. Before anybody says anything, hold my beer. This is a Christian podcast. Fourth teaching in our series titled Not Guilty. Guess what? If you drink a beer, guess what you are? Not guilty. No, doesn't that sound good? Not guilty. We're talking about the topic of righteousness. What a misunderstood topic. Well, and really, maybe it's not even so misunderstood as maybe just missed. I don't remember hearing about this in my 20-plus years of church sitting under a pastor that was definitely spirit-filled. I mean, he was a faith guy. Uh, My father was a pastor. I don't remember this growing up. And uh, that's a problem. Let's jump into today's podcast teaching. There's just so much I could say here today. John 3 and verse 14, let's forget for just a moment what's going on at home and the bills and, yes, the UFOs and the fires and the recession and the war, the to-do list of what's coming up. Let's tune in today because, again, the Bible indicates that it's very important that you do so. The Apostle Paul and Jesus both said at times that there were things that I wanted to say to you, but you weren't ready to hear it yet meaning you just weren't in the right position at that time. So what do we do? Well, let's position ourselves on purpose today to tune in. Be ready to hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to you personally about this message today. Uh, This would have changed my life growing up if I had heard this message. So have ears to hear and eyes to see today. John 3 and verse 14, and as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we read Romans 8 in our previous podcast, and it said that, uh, who is he that lays anything against God's elect? Who brings a charge against God's elect? Well, it's not God. Now listen, it's not God. 
So if he's not doing it, then what? Does anything or anyone else matter at that point? God is not laying anything against you. He's bringing no charges against you, no accusation. No, he's the one who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It's not Jesus. Listen, God is not interested in finding us guilty. He's not looking to charge us and accuse us. That's the devil. God is on your side, friends. The devil came to accuse and to condemn, but not Jesus. He came to save us. Now, do you believe that today? John 3 and verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son. Do you believe today? Then if you do, you're not condemned. That means not guilty. And if not guilty, then what? Well, there's no punishment. So the question is, why are we living like some form of punishment is coming? Why do we live that way? Why do we act like when things happen, that that's a punishment, when the Bible says that it's not. See, the issue of blaming God for what we call punishment is, well, you would never look to him to solve it because you think it's him. So this ties us up in this cycle of believing that God is mad, he's upset, and so what? Well, you won't go to him in any confidence. We feel ashamed. In reality, friends, it's the devil. It's the devil or it's just your heart. We talked about that. We probably talk about it some more. So we don't ask to be healed. We don't ask to be happy or have peace or joy. We just hope eventually God gets over it. It would be very unjust of God to allow punishment when you're not guilty. Now, those who don't believe, well, they're condemned, and what? Well, they are guilty. That's refusing to allow the court-ordered advocate. That's saying, well, I'll take my chances and defend myself. Well, that doesn't ever turn out very well. You know why? It's because we have an accuser who's mastered his craft over the years. So you'll be living in your sins, and there's going to be a price to pay if you don't allow Jesus' payment to cover that. Now you're trying, but always failing to pay the bill. John 8, we saw that they took that woman caught in the act of adultery. They toss her down, and Jesus was there, and they're accusing her. And they told Jesus, well, Moses in the law says, stone her. What do you say? And he stooped down, and he wrote on the ground, and he stood up, and he said, well, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Verse 9, then those that heard it being convicted in their conscience, they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up, and he saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, Well, looking around, no one, Lord. Now listen, I'm, I'm trying to pound this week after week. Did this woman do it? As far as we know, she did, right? She did it. She's broken the law. She was caught. This wasn't a rumor. She was caught breaking the law in the act of it. No doubt about it. You did it. Now, let me ask you. Have you done some things that, yes, I'll own that one. You did it. No doubt, no excuses. You did it. Jesus didn't say shame on you. See, this is what the Christian world is known for. Shame, guilt, condemnation, exposing your sins, embarrassing you a little, so that maybe you won't do it again. Let's keep bringing it up. Why? To control your behavior. What's wrong with you? You know better. Religion says this. I want you to get this into you. Those words, shame on you, you start treating that like a cuss word. Get that out of your vocabulary. You don't say it to yourself, and you don't say it about anybody else. You understand what you're placing upon your life? Shame? 
shame on you? That's trying to minister condemnation to somebody. That's not God. To literally say shame on you? You are placing shame? Speaking shame upon somebody's life? Speaking shame into your own life? And you want to think that's God? It's devilish. The devil is the accuser. Jesus came and he took that guilt upon himself and he paid the price. Why are we trying to act like someone or yourselves owe more on that bill? When he says, where your accusers at? Has nobody condemned you? No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now that's Jesus. It's not that Jesus was making light of sin, not at all. I'm not condemning you for it though. Go and live free. You're going to say it with me today, remembering we're confessing some things on the podcast. Say this, say no blame, no shame. Now, friends, that's called the good news. Romans 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no guilt. So again, if you've been around church at all, you know guilt is a huge part of church-going people. It's the primary thing used to motivate, the main thing that parents try to use to motivate children and each other. Preachers try to use it to motivate congregations to get you into church week after week. Some would even go so far as it being a part of their denominational beliefs to use it in a way that you're going to go to hell if you don't don't get here. Confess your sins. Now, you know you should. Shame on you. Well, that's the problem. So many are going to equate this to this being how God is. And they adopt this mentality, well, this is the way that it is to be. You have to be conscious of sin all the time and constantly confess it. They act like it is some form of humility to brag about how they failed and come short in so many ways. I'm just an old sinner. No, you were an old sinner, but now you've been saved by grace. And now you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, made it completely different mentality. No condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, that's the uh, component about staying guilt-free. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That's Romans 8, 2, and 3. Sin was condemning us. Jesus came and he condemned it. And now we're what? We are free from it. Verse four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. If you look over at James five, verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of righteous men avails much. Whose prayers avail much? The prayer of who? Righteous men, men and women. Look at the Amplified. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, and your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. He describes how the man of God prayed and the heavens didn't give rain. Then he prayed and the rain came. Well, that's power, isn't it? I mean, that's some power. Kenneth Hagin told us that um, he would read this and he thought, well, Lord, if I could ever become righteous, I'd be a whiz at praying I'd, and at prayer, if I could become righteous. The prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. What is a righteous man or mankind, right men and women? How does one become righteous? 
And what makes you unrighteous? Have you seen in your Bible the amazing things that happen to the righteous? The righteous have every good thing. But, but there, uh, this here, that a righteous man can make tremendous power available through the portal of prayer. Proverbs 28 and verse 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. What's an indication that you're righteous? Boldness. You ever come face to face with a lion? I'll tell you what, they're not scared of you. I was driving home one night from work here at the Lake of the Ozarks. This was years ago. I lived not far from the studios here. And as I was rounding the corner on that lake road, and I've lived on it for years, I grew up there. And all of a sudden, I saw a flash of something big come out of the woods. I hit something hard. You know, you know, it wasn't a raccoon. I mean, I've hit plenty of animals here. We live in the woods. We live in, you know. I've hit raccoons and possum and squirrels, all kinds of stuff. This wasn't a raccoon. And at first, I thought, did I just hit my dog? I had a very large black dog at that time. And uh, I thought, what is she doing all the way up here? Because it's probably another mile down to the road. And that dog usually didn't go too far from the house unless she was with me. So I jumped out of the car because that's the only thing I could think of. It's just a flash of something that was so large. And uh, I jumped out and it was no dog. It was a mountain lion. And it wasn't happy. Even in its wounded state, I'm thinking, <laughs> no way. Well, it crawled off into the woods and I went home and I called the police and I said, uh, this is going to sound a little weird. But, uh, and the lady kind of scoffed a little bit. You hit a what? And then suddenly she said, wait a minute. Oh, oh, this was somebody's escaped pet, a large mountain lion. I'd been face to face with it. I'm not on the top of the food chain. But you know what? There was no fear in that thing. And that's what this is saying. Zero intimidation, no fear. That's how the righteous are. No fear, not timid. No sense of inferiority. When's the last time you saw a walk in like a, it was low and worthless and its head was down? No, the righteous are bold. So say it with me today. Say, I am bold as a lion. The Young's literal says, the wicked have fled and there is no pursuer and the righteous as a young lion is confident. That is the definition of bold, confident. So confident is a faith word, right? 1 John 3, 20 through 21 says, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence towards God. What kind of prayer does a righteous man or a woman pray? They pray a bold prayer, a confident prayer. Look, you got to be bold to say, I pray and it won't rain. And now I'm going to pray, and it's going to rain. <laughs> you look at these in the Bible and the prayers that they would pray. What a righteous man or a woman, what do they look like? What do they act like? Well, they look and they act like Jesus. They sound like Jesus. How did Jesus walk? How did he operate? When he preached, he did it confidently. He did it boldly. He did it clearly, right? The people marveled. They spoke about it. Man, he doesn't preach like the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. Why? How did they preach? They preached from reason and traditions. No confidence or assurance in what they said. Well, maybe this and possibly that, and it could be this, but none of us can be sure. But Jesus came, and he roared like a lion, and he said things like it is. It will be, and it shall come to pass, and I will come and heal them. And the people, they were like, wow, he's not messing around. But here's the thing. He had miracles. He saw healings and deliverances, signs and wonders. Are we to walk in his footsteps? No, not just doctrinally. Not just, well, you know, be good, follow these rules. Listen, I, had, I have had people tell me that they didn't, they didn't like me when they first met me, when they first heard me. Well, we thought you were cocky, 
arrogant. Well, we stuck around and we found out uh, you're just confident and bold. Well, yeah, like Jesus, there's nothing worse to me than somebody who's going to call themselves a believer, call themselves a Christian, who's going to mamby-pamby around about the word of God, keep the head down, act shy or weak with no confidence whatsoever, and try to say, I'm a believer. I'm just like Jesus. I'm following Jesus. What would Jesus do? No reason for it. My old pastor had called me into his office. You can't expect a miracle every time you pray for somebody. You need to tone it down. I said, no. What am I to expect? Just flip a coin, I guess? No way. Bold as a lion. The Bible says when they saw of the boldness of Peter and John, they took note that they'd been with Jesus. Why? Well, because they started acting just like him, like righteous men, men who are not guilty. Why are we acting so guilty and down all the time? Because you believe you're guilty and that your life is now reflecting that punishment of being found guilty. You know all the things you've done, all the ways that you've managed to mess things up along the way, and you've been conscious of that. If you're always conscious of what you are not, uh, then you're, uh, you, you think about that. You're always putting yourself up short then you can't be conscious of Jesus. Listen, there's no way I could stand before a blind woman and command her to see. There's no way I can grab somebody up out of a wheelchair in New Mexico. No way I could dare to ask God, do you have boys in wheelchairs in heaven? Then your will be done right now. And that boy jumped out of that wheelchair for the first time in his entire life and walked for the very first time. No way I can whisper in somebody's ear on a hospice bed and tell them you're gonna live and arise and they do. No, no way. If I'm going to believe everything that everybody else is saying about me, no way. If I'm going to listen to the accusations, think of my sins and what I've done, no way. Bold as a lion. Faith-filled, bold prayer, confident prayers out of the assurance of knowing what God has said and continues to say about me, not guilty. Romans 12 and verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God? We need a mind renewal on this. The world's way of thinking has made its way into the church. No, we're sinners and none are righteous. No, not none. We hear so much condemnation preached. I know that's the way I was brought up in church because they were condemned, they were condemned themselves. How does one become righteous? Does anybody know? Romans 10, 9 and 10. So here's why we confess things because... Let me say this. Once the church got away from speaking the word of God, they started drawing away from God. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is how you get righteous. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. This is our salvation. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Here's what E.W. Kenyon says concerning righteousness, concerning sin consciousness. He said, the sense of condemnation has given to man an inferiority complex that makes him a coward. It robs him of faith in himself, in man, in God, and God's word. This sin consciousness holds him in bondage. He has no right to approach God. He knows he's not enough to pray and have his prayers answered. And if he does pray, it's just a prayer of desperation. That's most the church world right there. As surely as God made Jesus in him, God made us righteous in him. In the new covenant, our sins are not covered. They're washed away. The covering of sin is Old Testament terminology. 
I know it's still in a lot of old songs and hymns, but that's incorrect for a New Testament believer. Our sin is not covered. That was with animal blood, no blood of the lamb. I mean, the, the, the blood of the lamb washed it away, but the literal, just a lamb or, a, or a, an ox or whatever that they were sacrificing, listen, that was just to cover it. We have the blood of the lamb that washed it away. That's how we're righteous, because we're clean in him. He said the fact that Jesus could leave the abode of the lost and go directly into the Father's presence is proof that the vilest of sinner can do the same through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because here's the thing. You have to play this out. Really, really walk this out. Troubleshoot it, if you will. Was Jesus really made sin with our sin? Right? I mean, that, that punishment for, for that sin was placed upon him, correct? He became sin with all of mankind's sin. And was he really in the heart of the earth for three days and nights? Was he? And was he not raised from the dead free from all sin and has gone into the presence of the almighty God and sat down at the right hand of the father? We can do the same. It was not his sin. It was ours. And if our sin could not keep him out, your sin cannot keep you out because it was your sin. Your sin could not keep you out of the presence If Jesus was made righteous from all of mankind's sins and made so righteous that he could come out of hell and enter into heaven, if he, after being sin, could be so righteous, he could go into the Father's presence and sit down at his right hand and be accepted by the Father, then everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can come as righteous as Jesus is because Jesus has made unto us righteousness. We are righteousness. We are the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we can know and live under condemnation of the idea that our sin was so horrible, but he came out so I guess I can go to heaven. That's not what it says. Why did he do it? So we could be reminded that we need to watch it now. You watch it. Why did he do it? Why was he made sin with your sin? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. There was always our righteousness that was never going to be good enough. And then there was his, which is already accepted in heaven. Your righteousness is what you can produce and earn, and it's never going to be enough. But his, you didn't lift a finger for it. It was given to you as a gift. In the moment that you have to do something to earn a gift, then it ceases to be a gift altogether. We've been made the righteousness of God in him. You were made it. This righteousness permits us to stand in the Father's presence without the sense of guilt or condemnation. It gives us the ability to stand in the presence of Satan without the sense of inferiority. If you can come boldly into the presence of God and have an audience with the Father and get your prayers answered and hear him and receive of him, if you are clean enough to do that, then you're clean enough to look the devil in the eye and command him to get the hell out of here, and he will. That's how the righteous act and talk and walk and think. They're bold as a lion, not because we have to work something up, No, it's because we are completely confident in how we are and who we are, and we've been made right in him. And what you have been made is not guilty. Righteous. Righteousness means the ability to stand in the Father's presence as though sin has never touched us, with the same liberty and freedom that Jesus had with the Father when he walked this earth. How does a righteous act? Just like Jesus. He's called Jesus Christ the righteous. How did he pray? Father, I know you always hear me, right? That's confident. He didn't say, well, it's, it's me again, God. 
Father, I know I don't deserve it, but I'm begging you to please, please answer my prayer. Please listen. No, Father, I know you hear me and that they may know that you sent me. I'm just doing what you're telling me to do. Lazarus, come out of there. That's bold. How did he talk to the devil? Shut up and get out. But if you believe that you're guilty all the time and all you are aware of is all the places that you've missed it and blown it, all the areas that you've come short, you're never going to be bold. You have a sense that I have no right to even be here. I don't even have a right to ask anything or command the devil. It creates beggars. Churches are making beggars out of people. You will not receive and you'll not be free and you're never going to overcome. How does a righteous person think and act and speak? Just like Jesus. The righteous are bold. If you go over to Luke 5, it's here we see Jesus asking to use Peter's boat. He wants to borrow his boat. And he preached out of his boat, and when he finished, he said, let's launch out into the deep for a catch. Well, he said, listen, we've worked all night. The fish just aren't here. And besides that, you don't toss the net in the middle of the day because the fish can see you coming. No, it was nevertheless because you say so, I'll do it. So he did it, and he drew in the best catch that he ever had. Verse 7, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help him, and they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. Don't tell me there's not a prosperity gospel. This is money. Every one of these fish is money. Getting out of debt and the boats are sinking and his boat is sinking and their boat is sinking filled with money-making fish for the business. This is a new boat, right? New nets. We're going to need a bigger boat. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Wait a minute, go away. Get away from me, Lord. Why would he say that? Well, because I'm sinful. I'm a sinful man, Lord. Religion has taught millions of Christians to confess I'm a sinner. But no, listen, if you've been born again, you're not a sinner by nature, and you've been saved, and that means much more than saved from hell, as good as that is. But we are made right, made righteous, not guilty. This is what sin does, causes you to draw back in fear, right? Being always aware of your sin and your failures, and yes, yes, you you have. But we know that. But it, it only hurts to confess it over and over again. I'm a failure. It builds, in, it, it builds into you a, a fear. Blame and shame and fear. That's most of the church world. That's why they don't walk and act and talk like Jesus. Too afraid because of sin. He walked with no consciousness of sin. No inferiority, no blame or shame. Was absolutely fearless and he looked death right in the eye and he commanded it to stop. He wasn't afraid of any devils. He wasn't afraid of any diseases. He touched lepers, and he did it as a man. And he said, the works that I do, you shall do. And that's why he had to come as a man. Because if if he came as God, we could never do it. He was a man anointed by the Spirit just like us. In the end of this chapter, we see they bring to him a paralyzed man. They let him down through, through this. Look at this. This is in Luke 5, 18 through 20. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man that was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. When they could not find a way that they may bring him in because of the crowd, they went up onto the housetop. They let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to him, you're healed. That's not what he said. Listen, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Wait a minute. He didn't come for that. He came to be healed. But what did Jesus address first? Why? Jesus is recognizing that something else needed to be done at the root issue here. Not just simply dealing with the fruit of an obvious physical issue before him, but something else. He says, man, thy sins are forgiven you. Take up your bed and walk. Well, that's going to take some faith, right? 
Remember, we saw if our hearts condemn us not, we what? We have confidence before God. This man is going to need to be bold here in a few minutes. But what do most people think of when it comes to this? I might deserve this. I may not be worthy of it because of sin, guilty conscience. We got to get rid of that so we can do this right here. He looked at him and he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. You are not guilty. You are right now free from blame and shame and no need to have fear. And this man believed that. I mean, imagine the weight that's just rolled off of this man. Because of the issue might just be the side effect of sin. Or if I can, if I can get rid of the issue because it's punishment for sin caused by sin and lingering sin. And because of sin, well, now I'm sin free. And I guess if I'm sin free, then there's no need of the punishment to continue, right? That's how people, that's how people got to see it. No sin, no punishment for the sin then. I'm clean. And now he's ready, right? To hear the next thing. So because of that, take up your bed and walk. Well, now he's out of excuses, isn't he? He's filled with confidence, boldness. Hebrews 10. So always being aware of of sin consciousness causes us to, to draw back in fear. Righteousness causes us to be bold and to draw near. I was raised in a church that I heard always what a failure I was. I never could do it right. Never, ever. It, it was, it was, it was uh, used as manipulation to keep you down, keep you relying on the good graces of the pastor to bail you out with God. So many refused to come to church because I'm not good enough to be in there with those people who are all so good and better than me. Listen, if you could do it, we don't need a Jesus. It's got nothing to do with working so hard to keep it or get it. You are righteous because you're accepted by Jesus Christ and you accepted him as your Lord and Savior. That's it. You believed unto it. Hebrews 10, that should be your homework. Read all of Hebrews 10 this week. But verse 17, then he adds, their sin and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. He's not up there sitting there thinking about him. Why are you sitting down here thinking about him? Or mine or somebody else's? Toss that in there too. Why should you? Verse 18, now where there is Where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Not covered, but washed away. 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to what? Enter in. Enter in. What does sin consciousness do? Keeps me out. I can't. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. People aren't entering in. They think if you put yourselves down so much that he'll feel sorry for you eventually. That's a a works apart from from his son. If God was moved by pitifulness, We would have miracles all over the place. No, it's not by begging and needs. We're told to come boldly to the throne. Bold, not arrogant, not pride, just confidence because you have a right to be there. He's not looking at the failure and the sin. No, he sees the faith and the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus that has been given unto you. Why do they have a right to be here? You want to know why I can stand in a pulpit after going through a divorce? You want to know? Why you can go to the throne room of God after you watched porn, after you got angry and yelled and cussed out somebody and and drank and took drugs and you didn't trust God? What right do you have to be here? I've been made righteous and I am in him. His righteousness is my righteousness. I didn't do that. He chose to do that. No, I know I have filthy garments, but the father said, grab that robe and cover my son up. Get sandals on his feet and a ring on his finger. That ring was the father's business means we're back in business. That robe is that robe of righteousness. No, you're filthy. You're filthy. You can't go into the presence of the Father like that, but that's okay. I'm going to give you a robe of righteousness. We won't see the filth. 
I'm supposed to be here. And so if Father God says that you're on the list, I suppose you ought to say and agree with him, I'm on the list. I have a right to be here because Jesus has a right to be here. And he gave me the right to be there because I'm with him. You look at the list. My name is on the list. And so I can come boldly and I can enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That blood was the key to gain access. The blood has cleared and washed me and made me righteous. Hebrews 10, 20 through 22, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil consciousness and our bodies washed with pure water. If he says you're clean, you're clean. And nobody else's opinions matter. Nobody's opinion matters about you, including your own. What matters is what he says. That's all the time I have for today. Thank you for joining me on the New Old School Podcast. I am your host, Don Allen. Until next time, I'll be attempting the ridiculous and achieving the miraculous. Oh, 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 o